This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. Hello, in today's podcast, I'm very excited to be interviewing Tim Ferriss, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, that book that got so many of us started on the idea of remote working, escaping the 9 to 5 and uh, living anywhere, um, doing what we dreamed of doing. He's also uh, the best-selling author of a few other books, The 4-Hour Body and The 4-Hour Chef, and he's a big-time internet celebrity. So I was very excited when I got the chance to interview him. Now, I'm going to be honest, this is not a brand new interview just done for Collaboration Dynamics. I did it a couple of years ago when Tim was promoting his For Our Chef book. So before I play the interview, I want to share with you a couple of stories. So how was it that an ordinary um, blogger from West London was able to actually go and interview Tim Ferriss? I actually got to meet the guy, chatted to him for an hour. How did that all come about? And what's it got to do with collaboration? So to answer the second question first, um, I think this is a brilliant example of how in collaboration, everybody's got their own goals, their own outcomes that they're working towards. And it's when those goals coincide that something magical can happen. Not that everybody's working for the same thing, but the fact that everybody's heading in the same broad general direction means that something amazing happens. So in this specific case, Tim Ferriss wanted to promote his book. So he had this book that was coming out, The 4-Hour Chef, and he hadn't published it through a mainstream publisher. He was publishing it via Amazon. For the first, he was the one who uh, was first published just by Amazon. So he wanted to get it out through as many media outlets as possible. So about three or four months before he um, before he published the book, he just put a little little tweet out, a little little one liner out on all his social media outlets. Who wants to interview me about the new book? Fill in the form online. So I thought, well, it can't do me any harm. And Tim Ferriss would be a really interesting person to meet. And who knows, I might be able to talk to him about uh, metaphor and the importance of metaphor in thought. And, of course, I love his books. It would be nice to say so. So I thought, I'll just fill in the form. So I did. And I thought nothing more of it. I really had no expectation that I would ever be chosen to interview Tim Ferriss. So when several months later, I got an email from his PR company, that was brilliant. I was pleasantly surprised. Now, Tim was doing huge amounts of media at that time. In the first week of his book launch campaign, he actually published the list of all the uh, media work he'd done. That was 96 different pieces of media. So podcasts and newspapers and this, that and the other, all sorts of things because he knew that the more he could get his message out there through 
ordinary me you know ordinary um through ma mainstream media and through online media the more people would read his book that was what he wanted but then there was another little loop he was working through a pr company and they want to impress their client they want to make sure that there's always a queue of people wanting to interview him. It wouldn't do at all if Tim Ferriss was being asked to put his feet up in between interviews. So I think I was probably chosen because I would be willing to come into London very early in the morning and wait if necessary. So if one interview overran, I would not be kicking up a fuss. So the person who came on after me to interview Tim was from the Daily Mail and she'd never heard of Tim Ferriss. And she was he was going to teach her how to chop onions. And, and this was the whole thing. So um, if she'd been late, then, uh, you know, that then I would have, you know, if she'd been early, I'd have been asked to wait until afterwards. As it was, she was bang on time. And as you'll hear in the interview, the PR lady comes bouncing into the room and uh, to let him know that it, it's time for the next person. So I did get the chance to interview him. I, I was a bit starstruck. I'm not going to say it's the best interview I ever did. But I did get the chance to interview him. I did get the chance to uh, find out about the metaphors that he uses when he's learning at his best. Now, the four-hour chef was not just a book about cookery, though it was a book about cookery. It was also a book about how do people learn new skills and how do people find out how other people learn new skills? How do people model exemplars in their field? So learning was his theme of the moment. So when I wanted to ask him about his metaphors, I thought I'll ask him about his metaphor for when he's learning at his best. And it was brilliant. He was able, he was willing, willing and able to play along with that. And uh, I found out a few different things about what happens when Tim Ferriss is learning something new. I also got the chance to talk to him about uh, metaphor and clean language, to thrust a copy of my book into his hand and to tell him about mushy peas, which are, of course, the UK's major contribution to the four hour body diet. Hope you enjoyed. Here we go. My stuff is all about metaphor. Yeah. And uh, my method of mo modelling mm -hmm. is by finding out the metaphors that people use in their thinking about their stuff. Okay. It's called clean language. I'm fairly certain you won't have come across it. What was that? Clean language it's called. No, I don't know much. Um, but what it does, it, it works on the principle that metaphors mm. underpin yeah. the unconscious processes okay. that we have and that the metaphors we use in our thinking yep. spill out in the language we use. Okay, I believe that, yeah. yeah. Um, so what I'm curious about is when you're modelling, mm -hmm. when you're learning, that's like what for you? <sighs> First thing that comes to mind, I don't know if this is what I use, but <laughs> since I've becoming, I've been trying to resurrect my my drawing, starting uh, this year. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a comic book penciler for a very long time when I was a kid, 
I think that modeling, modeling is like drawing animals in a zoo. It's like watching watching animals move and behave, and trying to capture that in snapshots. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first thing that came to mind, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that's not that's the best analogy. But looking at looking at something people have all seen before mm -hmm. and seeing something different. Mm. So, drawing animals in the zoo yeah. and sit, watching animals yeah. and then draw, seeing snapshots. Yeah, capturing that, in the case of drawing, mm -hmm. in snapshots. Mm -hmm. And um, when watching like that, what kind of watching is that? Unbiased. I mean, you really have mm -hmm. to. You really have to have a blank slate. Mm -hmm. You can't come into it with preconceived notions about mm -hmm. what a lion should do, or your drawing's going to be crap. Mm -hmm. You have to. You have to come into it to capture what you see and not necessarily filter it or interpret it or skew it before mm -hmm. you put it down. At least that's the first part for me. Yeah. So, what needs to happen for a blank slate like that? Um. Not not sure if this this applies to the the animals necessarily, but you uh, you have to assume that what you what you think you know could be wrong. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a blank slate. Yeah. And uh, then you watch the animals. Yeah. And then you uh, you you write down your observations first. I mean, I think this is the, the core of the scientific method, right? Mm -hmm. you, you should or Sherlock Holmes. I'm very fascinated by Sherlock Holmes, who was mm -hmm. modeled after a doctor, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the the gathering of facts and the interpretation of those facts should be separate. Mm -hmm. uh, and if if you go into a study of any type with your conclusions already half formed, you're going to look for data. You're going to look for things that confirm that, mm -hmm. which is confirmation bias. It's a very very common problem mm. in science as well. Medicine also. Um, yeah. Yeah. It. So when you're you're watching the animals, yeah, and there's a blank slate, how do you know when to draw? You don't. You do a lot of drawing. You do a lot of drawing. The way you get a good drawing is by doing a lot of drawing. Mm -hmm. That's why the uh, artists uh, will very often use, at least you know, sketch artists, mm. also animators will use erasable light blue pencils, and then they'll go over the sketches they like later mm -hmm. with ink or darker pencil or something like that. Um, yeah, the way you get a good drawing is by doing a lot of drawings. And I mean, most, of, most of the things I capture when I'm studying someone ends up getting thrown out. Mm. The vast majority. So you make a lot of drawings and then what happens? Mm. Well, in the case of drawing, I'm doing it, and I suppose this is actually also analogous. I mean, I'm drawing not because I want to sell my work or anything like that. Mm. I'm drawing for the enjoyment of the process mm. of, of capturing something. It doesn't even need to be reality. Um, this is maybe going on a tangent, but... 
Now, I like to capture, for instance, whether it's animals or people, and then ask, you know, what if, you know, a lion were riding a horse? What if mm-hmm. a person were a thousand feet tall instead of six feet tall? Mm-hmm. And then take that reality that I've captured and try to turn it into something fictional. But that also applies to modeling people and learning skills. But asking mm. a lot of what-if questions is very important. And there's an enjoyment in that process of oh, asking yeah. those what-if yeah, what questions. Well, that's why I'll study, for instance, uh, you know, I'll study Greek intensely, even if I'm only going to Greece for a week. Mm-hmm. And I know I'll forget it all. Mm. But it's the, the, it's the process of learning about how Greek people think, which is only learnable if you pick up the language, mm-hmm. even in bits and pieces, that I find so much fun. Uh, and you certainly have a better time when you're in Greece, certainly, if you speak even 20 sentences. Mm-hmm. So it has to be the process, mm-hmm. from my standpoint. Because uh, there's, there's so many things outside of your control also. I mean, let's say if you're, if you're building a business, the process on some level has to be enjoyable because the outcome is not always a reliable indicator of whether you've done a good job or a bad job. Mm-hmm. There are too many things outside of your control, macroeconomic factors, 9-11, whatever. Uh, I think it's extremely important in, in, in investing in particular, this is very clear, to be process-focused instead of outcome-focused. Mm-hmm. Because you can, you, can, uh, you can get a good result for the wrong reasons, and you can get a bad result even when focusing on the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, get a, if you get a good result by doing the wrong things, it doesn't mean you should do the wrong things as a policy, which is a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, anyway. I'm but you're having that. fun in the process of doing the drawings themselves. Mm-hmm. Are you having fun in the process of the... Sorry. Hello, just coming to give you a few minutes out. Is it good? Yeah. Um, that's great because we've come yeah. up to the end. Thank you. Okay. No swap. Thank you. So you're having fun in the process of doing the drawings. Yeah. Are you having fun in the process of selecting which of the drawings to Oh, yeah, use? it's absolutely. Yeah, I find the whole thing, I find the, I find the entire thing fascinating. And it's not all fun all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if uh, outcomes are uncertain, so if some facet of the process isn't enjoyable, why the hell... Would you invest your time in it mm. to start with? I mean, even something that's painful, I think, can be enjoyable. Like going to the gym and getting stronger, I find hugely enjoyable. But do I enjoy doing 20 rep squats to failure? Not particularly. Mm. You know, do I enjoy puking into a bucket after doing <laughs> a really intense lactic acid workout? Not particularly. But do I enjoy the knowing that I am becoming stronger each time I plan it properly, time it properly, mm-hmm. come in, and I'm able to do that much more. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so how do you know when to check whether you're having fun yet? I think you can tell. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the fun for me is walking in, and uh, in this particular case, I, I think it's one of those things you just know. It's, mm. uh, uh, who was it? I think it was a Supreme Court justice at one point with the Larry Flint case. This was <laughs> lived a Hustler magazine. It was this huge brouhaha. And uh, they were asked at one point to define pornography. And <laughs> the judge said, 
sir, you know it when you see it. I can't define <laughs> it, but you know it when you see mm. it. And I think that that fun is a lot like that. Mm. Yeah. It's a feeling. Fabulous. Cool. My big takeaway from that was how willing Tim Ferriss was to play along with this bizarre request from an interviewer to explore the metaphors that underpin his thinking. Without much of an explanation, he just dived in and uh, started having a bit of fun with the idea. And I think that's a beautiful example of how great collaborators are willing to play and have fun with other people and say yes to things rather than wanting to have every uh, detail spelled out before they start. My other big takeaway from the whole thing was this idea of do lots of it. Whatever it is you're wanting to do well, do loads of it. So in, in Tim's case, that was drawing. So do lots and lots of drawing because it's the doing of something that will, will make you better at it. So if one of the things you want to do is to get better at collaborating, do lots of collaborating. In the next Collaboration Dynamics podcast, I'll be talking to hypnotist and collaborator extraordinaire, Andy Austin, about how do you collaborate when you don't like rules? It's going to be fun. See you then. Music